Well, morning, everybody. When you pulled up this morning, you thought, oh my goodness, revival is breaking out in Jesus' church. And then you go, oh no, it's just Oktoberfest, you know. I just whisper a prayer. This is my annual drive in early on a Sunday morning and say something to this effect. Oh, Jesus, for the day in our culture when people would flock to your courts and your house early on a Sunday morning like they flock to the soccer fields for games that end in zero, zero. <laughs> I just don't get it fully, so... Well, hey, lots of you have been asking about my London trip, so uh, let me say, first up, sightseeing was amazing, sleep cycle and game, not so much. And um, so, highlight for me, for sure, was St. Paul's Cathedral. Anybody been to St. Paul's Cathedral in London? Show of hands, an unbelievable venue, right? So here's a picture of St. Paul's. I did the uh, 600-step hike up to the top. So those of you who've done that before, it's an excellent quad and cardio workout all the way up to the top. And uh, sporting our nice, yeah, I got to bring the Moore symbol, right? You got to bring the Eagle Church all the way over to, to London. And there's a view across the River Thames, London Eye back there, Parliament. I did a quick tour of the Parliament as a part of the day as well. But St. Paul's was the highlight for a number of reasons. When I walked into the facility, there's a little sign there that says, Welcome to a community of people who've been worshiping in this space for 1,400 years. It was built in 614. Not 1614, I was looking for another, 614, now it's endured some fires and some wars and so lots of the structure's been torn down, rebuilt, but that space has had a cathedral called St. Paul's in it and a congregation of people since the year 614 have been lifting up the name of Christ. You know it's still an active cathedral today. And I didn't know that until I got down from my tour at the top because when I came down the stairs and I walked back out into the main sanctuary area there, uh, there was a person who handed me a program. And here's a picture of the front of the program. It was an evening song. That's what it was called. It's a front door of the church right there. So that's like, I don't know if you can't really see on the slide there, but the people are at the bottom look like that. So picture that being like the front doors out here. So like where the barrows stand and shake hands, there's some people like right down there. So evening song was taking place. It was their evening prayer service that started about 45 minutes after I'd come down from the top. And I thought, I, I think I want to stay for this. I've been up at this point for like 30 hours. So it, I just, I sat down in the middle of St. Paul's Cathedral and the organist began to play and the music began to just kind of just bounce off all the walls. It was a beautiful setting. And I was sitting there in the seat and I went sound asleep. I was out. St. Paul's Cathedral, unbelievable. It's like 300-yard long sanctuary. It's in the shape of a cross. So the long beam is about 300 yards. The other's 150 yards. Sitting right in the center of the cross shape of it, out. I know that doesn't happen to any of you in local church life. So sitting there, just enjoying my deep sleep, waiting for the service to start. And what interrupted my sleep was the priest. The priest had come out. There was about 100 of us at this point that had gathered early, kind of the early arriving, early arriving crew, and I was just seated in a little section here, and the priest walks up and says, hey, all of you, come with me. I thought, oh boy, this is like the sleeping discipline group or something, you know, I'm like, he said, that's all he said, you come with me, and he turns around and he takes off walking about a hundred yards down this corridor, and I just kind of look, I'm like, everybody else is doing it, I'm just going with the crowd, so I just joined in with them, just followed the crowd, 
And he goes back behind this little doorway, and then he escorts us in here. Show the next slide, please. So there's the corridor. Okay, so that's, you gotta pick, that's the interior of St. Paul's. So there's the 300-yard corridor of the long beam of the cross. And then next slide. He escorted us there, which is the choir risers at the front of St. Paul's Cathedral. Now, some of you are snickering already. It's not fair. Let me finish. He sits us down in the choir risers of St. Paul's Cathedral, and he says to us, you're our evening choir for our worship service tonight. <laughs> True story. This, I'm not making this up. I can't make these things up. Are you kidding me? I quickly clambered out of my, you know, I was kind of half asleep, half away. I'm like, well, I got to straighten up here. We're, he hands us all the program, and you're going to help lead the congregation. Back to the previous slide just for a minute. When I walked up to the cathedral or to the choir area, there was about a hundred of us in the little center section. After I was up there for a few minutes, kind of gathered myself, it's about go time for the service. I just kind of leaned forward and looked down the corridor. That's what I saw. Like a thousand people came in. All the locals know just show up right before the service starts, and it just filled up. And then he said, But you're not going to do this alone. We brought a 50-voice children's choir from Switzerland to join you. Are you kidding me? He parades out these 50 children who are dressed in just, un, they just look like so well-groomed. And well, young is probably seven or eight years old, as old as like a senior in high school. 50-voice children's choir up in the choir risers. And here we're all seated together. And I am supposed to, sing. They're in English too. I couldn't even use the, the language barrier, right? I'm in England. We're supposed to sing together through the... <laughs> and when that children's choir started for the opening song, I mean, just close my eyes. Have you ever heard a choir such as this and just echoing through the chambers of St. Paul's and the beautiful music? And I said to the Lord, I cannot open my mouth. I can't tread on this ground. <laughs> All I could throw in was the occasional our father, the occasional amen, the occasional glory to the father, to the son, <laughs> to the Holy Spirit. And I just whispered it. Amen. No microphones are needed in St. Paul's Cathedral at this point. It's acoustically designed in such a way. I'm seated in this seat with wood carvings all about me and something Latin above my head that I'm sure meant this seat was probably been worshipped, you know, 1,400 years worth of people singing in this choir seat. And here I sit. Of all people on the planet, I shared this story with Ian Black, you know, our student director. I don't know if you know Ian. He's He's sang in a lot of choirs and done a lot of these things before. And he looks at me and he's like, seriously? He said, Simpson, the one person, he's been to St. Paul's a lot. And he said, the one person, the one time you go, you're escorted to do what? <laughs> Who would have thought, right? If you're newer to the Eagle community, I'm the guy that they make sure the microphone isn't anywhere near when singing time starts. I occasionally leave this on once in a while, and some if you just need a good humor point for our tech guys is the times when I have left it on and what they quickly figure out where Simpson's mute button is. And there was one time the worship team was all up here, and they had their in-ears in. They're like, what's wrong? Like, 
Hunter, you're just way off today. What's going on? I mean, they're like looking at each other with this look, and then they realize I'm down there going, glory to the Lord, and just singing it out and just blaring through the, that's me. I happen to believe in redemption in heaven that it'll be the Hunter Smiths of the world who will have to carry notes like the Eric Simpsons in this life, and the Eric Simpsons of the world will carry notes like the Hunter Smiths in this. That's it. I just believe in redemption that way. I have no theological basis for it. I just, yeah, that's right. Hunter's like, that's not redemption. That's just a demotion. (laughs) You know, as I thought about that, In thinking about our series in the parables, the parable we're looking at from Jesus today, Jesus is telling a story about the things in this life that we at times can assess and place judgment upon and a conclusion about. Maybe a little too quickly. If you just give it a little more time, you might be amazed at where that's going to end up. Because I guarantee you, if you rolled the clock back to 16-year-old Simpson in central Iowa who knew nothing about Jesus or his church, if someone would have said, hey, about 30 years from now, you are going to be seated in the choir chambers of St. Paul's with the 50-voice children's choir from Switzerland, and you're going to be singing about the glory of Jesus, I would have said, I think you got the wrong guy on so many levels. But with Jesus, sometimes you just need to give it a little more time. And as only Jesus can do, he's going to tell us a story about that. So open up your Bibles, Luke chapter 13. Rob did a great job kicking off our series in the parables. We're going to be hanging out in the parables between now and Advent. And so Rob hit Luke 12, parable of the rich fool last week. Today we're in Luke 13, a parable that doesn't get a lot of press. I'm calling it the manure parable. This keeping it real today. The manure parable. Verse 6, Luke 13. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone. For one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. End of story. So here's Jesus in recognition that fig trees were as common to that setting in Israel as oak trees are to Indiana. So they're everywhere. Here's what a normal fig tree would look like that Jesus is referring to. And there is a vineyard keeper, there's actually a landowner who's got a whole bunch of fig trees inside this plot of land. There's one particular fig tree that's not bearing any fruit. For how long? Three years. So the landowner says to the vineyard keeper, well, just cut it down. It's not worth the soil that it's taking up. Just move it along. And then the vineyard keeper in the story, which is the God figure in the story, says, hey, wait a second. Let me dig around its dirt a little bit. Let me spread a little more manure. Let's give it a little more time. Let's give it one more year. And then if we're no good at year four, whack it down. 
This is Jesus commonly using what parables are. Parables are stories that you toss alongside everyday life stuff. So he finds an everyday life scenario, a fig tree that's not bearing fruit, and Jesus, para bale, para alongside bale to toss. Toss a story alongside something like everyday life and draw a principle about how the kingdom of God works. So three observations today about how life with Jesus looks from this parable. The first one is this. Often spiritual growth is longer and slower than we thought it would be. Have you noticed this about the spiritual life that shortly after, especially some of you who've recently come to Jesus, there's a surge of spiritual momentum. Those of you who've been recently baptized or maybe some of you have been around the faith a while but you're helping someone else get started. There's a surge of spiritual momentum going in the early stage of a walk with Christ. It's wonderful. And that's why I love being around people who have just found Christ. I need to kind of catch the wave of just they're overwhelmed with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And I love it when people who have just found Christ are praying for things because they just, they just pray for everything. And they pray for it with such innocence and expectation. And it's like the way it's supposed to be. And, and then what happens shortly after? You know, let some time go on. And then there's long stretches of this walk with God where you wonder, is there really anything going on? It's just kind of slower than we like. And we tend to struggle with this perspective because as Americans, we just want to make things happen. We just want to move things along. We want stuff to get going. And in the kingdom of God life, in this life with Jesus, there, there's definitely stuff going on, but often there's much more going on in hiddenness than there is in what's apparent and obvious. And often we're the last ones to recognize it. I know I am. I need some people in my life to point out the places where, that aren't going so well, and I also need them to point out the place and affirm activity and growth because and, I'm not always seeing it. And so the first principle in this story is, you know, it's going to take a little longer, and it's going to be a little slower, this life with Jesus stuff. And in that crucible, here's our temptation to amputate. You know, we're like, we have a PhD in amputation for when we're just frustrated with the timing of things. Just cut it down. Because cutting it down, well, you're gonna see some results then. Whack that tree down. We're gonna, that thing's gone. It's taking up soil. Just cut it down. You know, as a pastor, I have to confess sometimes in pastoral life and ministry, sometimes I just struggle with the cut it down. You're trying to help this person or this family take three or four steps forward, and you feel like you go three forward and four back. And you have to go year after year after year, you get to the point, and I, know, I just say, Lord, just cut it down. I mean, how long are we gonna go here? How much more dysfunction? How many more times are we gonna fall on our faces? We just move it along, get some results. Let's see something happen. We'll see something happen, just cut it down. Or in family units, there's a lot of parents who give up on their children or children who give up on their parents or parents who give up on each other and just cut it down, amputate, just get rid of it. And into that space, Jesus says, well, actually, Simpson, let's go fertilize. I got an idea. Let's fertilize before we amputate. We'll get to the amputate point in a minute, but fertilize. Give it a little more time. I know it doesn't look like there's a lot going on there, but there's probably more going on there than you think. It's hiddenness, behind the scenes. Listen to how Eugene Peterson put it. 
I put this quote in your notes. Spreading manure is not dramatic work, not glamorous work, not work that gets anyone's admiring attention. Some of you grew up spreading lots of manure, and you noticed something about the manure job, did you not, in your farm circles? Was it the most trained, most experienced, longest-term worker on the farm grounds that got the manure job? Uh Uh-uh. Always the youngest guy, right? Newest drafty in. The one, hey, you're on the manure run today. You're going to do this. And that's what Peterson's pointing out here. Manure is a slow solution. Still, when it comes to doing something about what's wrong in the world, Jesus is best known for his fondness of the minute, the invisible, the quiet, the slow. Yeast, salt, seeds, light, and manure. Like a mustard seed that falls into the ground and dies. Like yeast that works its way through the dough, though you can't see it. Like salt that preserves decay. Like manure that smells really bad and has a lot of active organisms in it that cause it to smell so bad that is really effective. Like manure that falls into the ground and when it's dug around in the dirt over the course of time. That's how spiritual change works with Jesus. It's longer. It's slower than we prefer it to be. And the temptation we're going to battle is the pe- amputate, cut it down. Before, it's, before it should be cut down in this story. And about my own life and about our lives together. Which brings me to the second point in the parable. Fig trees are fruitful 10 out of 12 months a year. So think about this now. So 10 out of the 12 months of the year, they're supposed to be bearing fruit like that photo showed you. 10 out of 12 months. This one was 0 for 36. I put in my notes, even the most fruitful have some barren months. I don't know why this encouraged me so much. Does it encourage anyone else? That even the most fruitful among us, even the Billy Graham and Beth Moore types among us, in our best stretches of life in the kingdom of God, in our most fruitful seasons of ministry, I think it's 10 out of 12. Does that encourage anybody else but me? It helps me understand this. It helps me understand how, you know what, even like we're together on Sunday mornings, we're in the house of God, we're worshiping and we're in the word and we're gonna be at the communion table and we're encouraging each other and we leave inspired and committed to go at it for another week and then, Monday morning hits or Tuesday morning hits for me in staff meeting and I got a head cold or something and some circumstances didn't quote quite quite right. If you were to ask some of the staff on Tuesday or Wednesday, you're like, "Uh, Simpson, that's not looking very fruitful. We're fruitful on Sunday though. Or we're fruitful this month, but this other month, maybe not so much. 10 out of 12. Even for Billy Graham. Even for the most Jesus among us, 10 out of 12. I think that's a good run. That really encourages me. That gives me a sense of what? We're just real life. We're real humans. We battle a real sinful nature. We're going to have hours and days when we're on it and we're thriving and we sense that walking in step with the Spirit. And then we're going to have hours and days when we just go, what's going on with me? Why do I have this thought? Why is my mind there? Why did I make that decision? And did you know, I don't know about you, but I'm hardest on myself. Especially as a pastor, it's like if I don't respond to a set of circumstances the way I feel like Jesus would want me to respond, I say something like this. I go, Lord, 
I've been a Christian for like 30 years. I've been in pastoral ministry for like 22 years. I'm paid to actually respond like you'd want me to respond. What's wrong with me? And you get really hard on myself and you get really discouraged and you get down on yourself. You're like, I didn't handle that conversation the way I should have handled it. I didn't make that decision the way God would want it made. And what is all that? I think this parable encourages me. It's like, hey, Simpson, even the most fruitful fig trees among us, 10 out of 12. Relax. You're human. We're human. We're grateful for grace. He'll be there. He'll help us. Now, don't misunderstand me. The trajectory should be growth. There should be more Christ-likeness. There should be uh, trending the right direction. But to expect 24-7, 365 is an unrealistic expectation in this life. And to relax and understand, you know what? It's a journey. We're going to have ups and downs. And maybe you're in a season right now that maybe those closest in your life go, boy, it's looking pretty barren. Not a lot of fruit this week. Not a lot of fruit today. Maybe next week. Maybe tomorrow. 10 out of 12. Even the best among us have seasons of barrenness. So whoever it is in your mind who's kind of spiritual hero-like, I want to give you a new paradigm, 10 out of 12. And if you spend any more time with those spiritual hero types and ask them, I think if they're honest, I'd say, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Because we can get easily discouraged when we hold the standard so high that no one could achieve. And that Jesus himself tells us a story here to say, hey, you know what? The reason that landowner was frustrated. Now, 0 for 36, that's a different scenario. 0 for 36, something's wrong. Which leads us to the third reflection. It's God, not us, who passes the final judgment. Notice it's the vineyard keeper who says, give it one more year. That's the God figure in the story. The vineyard keeper says, hey, to the landowner, hey, wait a minute, before you just whack this thing down, let's give it, let's give it a little more time. Final judgment's coming. I think this is an important part of the story. You know, in the context of where he tells his parable, he's talking a lot about the end of time, talking about when there is a final judgment. You know, every single one of us is going to stand before God and give an account for the kind of tree we have become. We are going to do that. That's the whole point of the last sentence. If it, does, if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. There is a day of reckoning coming. There is a final judgment coming. It's just probably a little farther down the road than we thought it was going to be. And by the way, I know we in the Christian community, we struggle with this. We like to play judge and jury when this story says God's the one who gets to decide. God decides when it's over. I'm so grateful for that because how many times I've given up on person or situation and thankfully God never did or all the times I've given up on myself and God never gave up. It's God who decides when it's time to cut it down. And there are some that will be a cut it down. 0 for 36, 0 for 48, 0 for 60, whatever it is, there'll be a cut it down. But more often than not, there'll be some surprising results when you just start digging around in the dirt and you start spreading a little more manure. So the general trajectory of our life with Jesus should be that, you know, those who walk with Christ, life should look increasingly like Jesus. The, the scripture knows nothing about someone who's walking with Jesus that's not changing. Like, change is a part of this life with Jesus. So if you're walking with Christ for year after year after year, and the people who know you best, people who spend the most time with you, can't point to anything in your life that's really practically changing in Christ-like character, then something's wrong. There needs to be some work done. 
Change is just a part of the equation. Now, it may only be a rhythm of 10 out of 12, but that 10 out of 12 be change. And when there's not, the sobering part of this story is there is a day coming when the final word is blown. The whistle's blown, the word is pronounced, and it's judgment day. So three observations from the manure parable. The first thing is, this whole process is going to take a little longer and slower than we thought it was going to. The second thing is, even the most fruitful seasons among us, 10 out of 12. And then thirdly, let's remember that it's God who gets to pronounce the final judgment, not us. So before we're too quick to give up on one another, give up on ourselves, let's continue to rest in the fact that God's the one who gets the final. And he'll be the one to, and he's really good at it. He doesn't mess it up. He pronounces judgment accurately every time, and we can rest in that. So as we transition to the communion table, I want to ask you two questions. And the two questions are these. Who's digging around in your dirt these days? And who's spreading a little manure? Because everybody needs somebody. This following Jesus thing has always been a together thing. I thought back to 1986 when Andy Winters stepped into my life and started digging around in my dirt. I was lost as a goose, didn't know anything about Jesus, didn't grow up around the church, didn't pray. I didn't know what Easter was. I had no idea what Good Friday was, none of that stuff. And Andy just started digging around in my dirt. Start spreading a little manure. I thought about when I went off to college and I'd become a Christian about a year after Andy started digging around in my dirt and went off to Iowa State. And Scott Ely was starting a Bible study in my dormitory. I didn't know really what that meant. But he's like, I'm just starting a Bible study, get some guys together. We're going to get in the Word together. And I thought, I'm going to go check this out. And Scott Ely started digging around in my dirt. He started spreading a little more manure. And then I remember it was Scott Ely who said to me, hey, Simpson, I was like a junior, I think, at this time. He says, hey, I think it's time for you. You're going to start a Bible study now. You're going to start reaching out to some guys on your floor, and you're going to start digging around in their dirt. You're going to start spreading a little manure. He didn't use that term. That's my term today. But it's, that's what you're going to start doing. You're just going to help some people walk with Jesus. There you go. And then I remember it was shortly after I became a pastor here and I was going back to school, and I was transitioning from Lily into pastoral ministry. I was recognizing how much I needed to learn and grow and training and all that stuff. And I remember I got linked up with Sunder Christian in January 1995. Sunder's about 25 years older. He'd been in pastoral ministry for a long time. And I remember driving up to Toronto, Canada, and I remember spending four or five days with him. And the essence of those four or five days was I just said, hey, Sunder, I want you to start digging around in my dirt. I want you to help me figure out how to do this pastoral life healthy for the long haul. Spread a little manure. And let's see what happens. Because everybody needs somebody. And then ultimately, as we go to the table, you know the permission given at the table here as we tear off the bread, as we dip it into the juice, is we invite Jesus through the Holy Spirit to start digging around in some dirt. Aren't you grateful that he just is so persistent? Aren't you grateful he doesn't leave you alone? How many times you've tried to run that I've, I've tried to run, I've tried to hide, I've tried to rationalize, and he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming for us, and maybe today's the day. Maybe as you come to the table, it's a picture right here of you just an invitation to Jesus again. No better person to dig around your dirt than him. And then it's with his people. Practically how he does that is he uses people. 
in the body of Christ with one another. And then you get to the point where he asks you to start doing that with someone else. And the Bible word for all that's just called discipleship. That's how the church is supposed to work. People start digging around your dirt, start spreading a little manure, and you start growing, you start seeing fruit, start seeing change, and then all of a sudden, you're gonna start helping someone else grow and follow and walk with Christ. You're gonna start digging around in their dirt, and you're gonna start spreading a little manure, and it's messy, it's smelly, it's complicated, it's difficult. And guess what? Large portions of it doesn't look like anything's changing. It's slower, it's longer. And even the best among us are 10 out of 12. But here's what you rest in. God's the one in charge of the whole thing. And he'll be the one to pronounce the final word. So I don't want what brings you to the communion table today, but the invitation I issue to you is to Jesus at the table who says, come. And as you come, no matter what you bring, you can openly invite him to continue what he's begun. There's absolutely nothing that we're carrying that these elements aren't sufficient for. So worship team, why don't you come on up? We have an open communion table here. Means you don't have to be a member of Eagle. It is a time to examine though. Make sure your heart's headed in Christ's direction and say, hey Lord, am I centered with you? Do I desire to go your way? This is a time to get that straightened out. And if you're not quite sure where you're at or you're not quite sure where you're at with Christ as a whole, this is a good time. You can pray, invite Christ into your life right now and take communion for the first time. Or if you just need to do some business in your own blue chair there, that's fine. These prayer kneeling benches are up here for you. You can come, ask for prayer, be anointed with oil for healing. We believe Jesus still heals today. And it's through his shed blood, through his broken body that we stand firm in that. So you can come and ask for prayer on that. But this is gonna be your space where you just are dismissed to the tables in just a minute. You just rip off the bread. I think there's gluten-free at both spots in a basket there. And you just dip it into the juice and you just wanna spread out all around the room, pray together individually, pray together as families, small groups, friends. And at the end of the day, just say, hey, Jesus, I need you to maybe do some more digging around in my dirt today. Spread a little more manure. Perhaps the story's gonna end up in a place that you never imagined. Let's pray together. Jesus, thanks that today this table reminds us that you have never given up on us. Thank you for the invitation to come. We recognize you laid down your life that we might have life in you. Whether we're in a barren season, whether we're in a fruitful season, whether we're somewhere in between, whether we're thriving, whether we're frustrated, whether we're stagnant, we simply say, here we are. And as we come to the table, we do so as an act of worship. And we invite you by your spirit to continue the work that you've already begun. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.